Hello, and welcome to Control Walt Delete, the overclocked and liquid cooled podcast. An intro comes Ooh. from Dana Schwartz, who actually emailed them to me, which is it's wow. a new one. I love it. Uh, I am Neilai Patel. I'm the editor in chief of The Verge, joined as always by my friend and Verge executive editor, Walt Mossberg. He's also the co founder of Recode and the Code Conference is next week, so it's, it's all just coming together. It's all coming together. We're doing something new at the Code Conference this year. We're doing it entirely by email. Uh, <laughs> I- influenced by Dana, uh, <laughs> who I think was showing you a lot of respect. No, yeah. uh, we are. We, 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 have a, we have a fantastic lineup at the Code Conference. Uh, I'll be on stage. Kara Swisher will be on stage uh, conducting uh, and we'll be conducting a lot of the interviews. Peter Kafka will be conducting a lot of the interviews. We've done lots of onstage interviews, as you know, over the years. You've been there yourself. And mm-hmm. we have a great lineup this year, including Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Sundar Pichai and Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and Sheryl Sandberg. And it's just – and we're, we have – folks from Black Lives Matter, and and we have, in cooperation with our sister site and your sister site, everybody's sister site, Eater, mm-hmm. uh, we have food tech stuff going on, so I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to be great. The sad part is there will not be a control wall to lead next week. Sadly. Maybe we'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just do one alone at Terranea. you <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You can sit on the balcony and describe what you see. Yeah. yeah the, the ocean. No. Yeah. Uh, so sadly, there won't be one, but there'll be a ton of stuff from code. So uh, look at The Verge, look at Recode, all that stuff will be there. Um, right. All right. But let's get into it. We got a you Last week, we ended the show. We were talking about Google and AI and the, the coming chatbot explosion and this big shift to the, the next, declaration of war. The, the declaration of war. Uh, and we ended by sort of, you know, a couple of minutes here and there talking about Apple. And then this week, you took those thoughts, you expanded them greatly, and you asked in your column if Apple can can make the shift. And you laid out a few reasons why, you know, they have some foundational pieces in Siri, but they don't. Th- there's some stuff they're missing. You want you want to go through that stuff a little uh, pretty quickly, and we can get into it. Sure. So I mean, but the the first thing to to remember is that it, y- you can. There is an absolutely respectable and honest analysis that says that Apple's been the dominant, most influential company the last 15 years for reasons we all know. I mean, all of the uh, hardware and and crucial uh, platform software that I think drove a lot of everything else came from them, one right after another, sort of an amazing, almost unprecedented thing. But now that's all kind of flattening out. It's flattening out for Google, too. And God, for Microsoft, it's just like they gave up today or yesterday, whatever it was. But the new thing, as we uh, agreed last week, um, the thing that I think is going to dominate most of the next decade is our variations on artificial intelligence that are device agnostic, that some of which will certainly be still be on your smartphone, which still has room to grow, uh, some of which will be on every device, some of which will be just invisible. I mean, just, you know, built into your environment. And the point of my column this week was to say, ironically, because Apple did bring out the first uh, widely used uh, voice-controlled artificial assistant in Siri uh, way back in uh, 2011, they, I, I question whether they are well positioned to you know to win this next phase of of the war so we should i want to start 
we were laughing when we were working on the column last night because I brought up Knowledge Navigator, which right. is an absolutely insane video that John Scully put out. Uh, Jobs was out of the company, but he put it out in like 1987. Uh, and you should go on YouTube and search Knowledge Navigator, and you should spend the no five read minutes the col- and watch it. Read, should, what's read in the, the column? column too? Yeah, give us the page view and, and link it off the column. <laughs> um, but it is it is at once a completely insane vision of the future, and also a pretty accurate vision of where it's going. Right, this guy, he's a college professor. He's He's touching his desk, which has a touchscreen in it. He's asking the assistant to help him do stuff, make an appointment. He video calls somebody. She talks to him. All that sounds, if I was just describing that to you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what I do every day. In 1987, this was complete insanity. Um, so that's in there, right? Like That's right. And and we should also point out that he's doing all this while having a conversation with his uh, virtual assistant in a way that I think every one of the major companies companies in this field, including Apple, is aiming to do, but no one's gotten anywhere close to that 1987 video level of, you know, it's it's better, it's like uh, HAL in 2001, which was, you know, it, it's like the computer in Star Trek, it's like her, right. it's, it is almost sentient in this. And it's an Apple, you know, no, it's, it's, it's not a Steve Jobs Apple, which is Many people consider it to be the only legitimate Apple, but it's a, it's a it's an Apple vision mm-hmm. that he was part of a it accompanied a book Scully wrote that nobody remembers. <laughs> uh, but but there are two or three of these videos, and it's it's uh, it's worth a watch because it could be that something like this is where we'll be if everything falls into place for all these companies in 10 years. But the point I was making is, look, so Apple, number one, to do this right, you have to have uh, a lot of cloud skills because AI and machine learning need big computers which can crunch a lot of data and a lot of algorithmic smarts uh, very quickly. And those have to be located in the cloud. I mean, some some of it can be done on the local device, but a lot of the heavy lifting has to be done in the cloud. And I just gave a short history of Apple's up and down problems with cloud services. I mean, it, it, in a company that is so well-known and justifiably well-known for attention to quality and attention to getting it right, their worst part of their history has been their cloud products. So that was number one. Number two was that I, although they had an early lead with Siri, which most people I think know, but I'll just repeat, they didn't invent, but they bought it. It actually launched at at our conference, what is now known as the Code Conference that we were talking about in 2009. It was a small company. They bought it in 2010. They launched it on the iPhone in 2011. And in my opinion, because all of this is my opinion, it has languished. It has... They did not take it and run with it. They did not put the kind of resources behind it that could have given them a giant lead over everyone else in this. And, you know, we uh, they have their developers conference in 19 days, mm-hmm. and that will be their turn to say what they're doing. There are some reports that are, they are going to uh, open it up to third parties. There are reports that they are in the early stages of building a uh, an appliance that uses it like the Amazon Echo or the one Google announced. 
uh, that would that would be progress. Well, so it's you know it's the device thing is it's actually it sets up Apple for more than progress or cloning, right? It's Amazon put one out, Google put one out, you know, all these other people. There's a bunch of ones that use Alexa, like the Tribby. Uh, we're gonna wait. We're gonna hang back and learn from everyone's mistake, and then come out on stage and say, and, you know, put up the screen and say, here's why all these are bad. And then here's all the choices we made why ours is the best. That's classic Apple yeah. for the for the device, I agree. But but I'm really talking about making progress on the actual AI technology that they were given. Mm-hmm. I know that the people who the, – the, the two guys who developed Siri were unhappy with um, Apple's lack of emphasis on growing it. And in some ways, even cut back the ambitions of it that they had had in their little company, and maybe for good reason. I don't know the whole story yet, but um, as you know, and as we have reported, they left, uh, and they have their own company, which is going to kind of white label a more powerful AI thing called Viv. V is mm-hmm. in victory. I V. So I, I just think you know this is the last possible minute for Apple to step on the gas here, and. Maybe they will. Sounds like they might uh, in 19 days. But it, it, it's just, my 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 only point is why didn't they start stepping on the gas three years ago and have everything that that Google announced uh, at I/O la, uh, last week already? Uh, and then the the third point I made is a real interesting quandary, which we touched on briefly last week, which is Apple is very much about privacy. I admire that. I, I admire their taking on the FBI. And last year at WWDC, their developer conference, they introduced a sort of catch-up to Google Now, which try, which they called proactive because it proactively tried to understand based on your interests and your location, kind of like here's the here's here are the last few people you contacted and here are the last few apps you run and. You ran, and here's some news headlines based on what we think are your interests, and here are some pizza places and gas stations near you, and it was just all on one page. And then there were some other things, like if you started to address an email in their email app, it would suggest three or four other people to whom you often also addressed emails along with the person whose name you were typing. So uh, that that's all well and good, but their point was we can do a lot of a lot more than you think with just the local information on the phone with your okay without going up to the cloud and kind of harvesting a lot of big data, uh, which would violate our views on privacy. I, in the column this morning, while simultaneously sort of applauded their view on privacy, but expressed some doubt that without the kind of knowledge about you in the from the cloud that Facebook and Google in their own ways have about you, that they can compete on the on that level of personalization, right? And the value that Facebook and Google will be able to deliver to the average person by using their data will be so much higher than the concern over privacy. This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Oxford Road. Six months ago, it was all about top line growth, as I'm sure you know. But today, you can't raise if you can't acquire customers and show a path to profitability. That's why the smartest minds in consumer tech are choosing Oxford Road, the fastest growing ad agency in consumer tech. Their clients acquire tens of thousands of new customers every week through TV, radio, and podcasts. And because Oxford Road's media plans are informed by over $100 million of performance data, 
All campaigns are measured and managed using best-in-class attribution methodologies from multiple sources. In their creative message development, scoring, and optimization through their proprietary method, Audiolytics, is something you can't get anywhere else. So find out if you qualify for their services right now and get a free needs analysis and demonstration of their analytics platform. So go to OxfordRoad.com scale today before your investors ask you why you haven't. That's OxfordRoad.com scale. I, I, let me ask you a question. Did you ever talk to Steve Jobs about privacy? I mean, it seems like this is it. It's more Tim Cook's thing because it's so public and out. Uh, it's like you know, it's what it's what Apple talks about. It's literally now we it, it's several events they have stood on stage and either directly talked about the FBI lawsuit or taken a shot at Google or taken a shot at the concept of advertising driven services. They 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 shut down their ad business, but you know you rewind. It was Jobs who bought the ad company to make iAds, you know, and I, I, did you ever talk to him about it? Did you, did you ever get a sense of where that came from? Yes, and I don't agree with you that it's a Tim Cook thing, although Cook has been put in a position where he's had to focus on it, which I'll explain in a minute. First of all, Steve, I did talk to Steve Jobs about it. He was a maniac about it. He was an absolute privacy jihadist, <laughs> and he talked about it strongly privately. He was critical of Google over privacy, uh, privately and inferentially publicly. And at one of our conference interviews at what we called at the time the D conference, which is now the Code Conference, he actually talked about it on stage. And when Tim Cook FBI uh, clash uh, broke out a few months ago, I actually tweeted a link to the to the Steve Jobs privacy comments, which I'll they're on YouTube somewhere. They're actually somebody went to the trouble of editing out just that clip. Maybe we did uh, at the time, and somebody just has it up there. But it's there, and he cared a lot about privacy. So I don't think there's a deviation here. I just don't think he was confronted. There, there are two things that have caused this to become a bigger issue for Apple. One is the government, and the other is Google. You know, Steve Jobs died in 2011. Uh, Android was a thing. It was real and it was important, and he was furious about it, as everyone knows. Uh, and but it it hadn't yet covered the earth. And to Tim Cook, I mean, Tim Cook has a slightly different business problem with regard to Android. And so, talking about privacy uh, is more apt in that context. And then Steve Jobs didn't have the government issue that has confronted Tim Cook. But there's no reason, based on my uh, knowledge of Jobs, that he wouldn't have taken the same positions. Well, no, this is like a hard criticism, but there's something like maps, right? I have a ton of friends who only use Waze to do their GPS. They swear by it. They won't use one of their cars. They don't use Google Maps. They don't use Apple Maps. They use Waze, which is now owned by Google and whatever. It's getting fed into Google Maps. But Waze is still an app. It's still really great. Yeah. Waze depends. The the thing that makes Waze good is that it tracks a whole bunch of your data about where you are and sends it to a server and like maps traffic and then you can say here's why it's going slow. And people they're gaga over this feature. And obviously they're opting in because they're using it in some way so they understand the value that it's providing. Every car is a probe. <laughs> yeah, right? It's it's an amazing it's like an amazing product. Every car is a probe and so it's crowdsourcing traffic info on the fly. Other map product. I actually know something about this. Other map products 
unlike a lot of what we talk about. <laughs> I actually know something about this. Other map products use a thing called Inrix, which uses crowdsourcing traffic data, but only on major roads uh, or mostly on major roads and mostly from trucks and 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 buses and commercial vehicles. Right. There was a company before Waze, actually, uh, called Dash that was one of those classic cases of a company being too early. I reviewed the Dash. It was a connected GPS, right? Yeah. And K- Katie Barrett, uh, our colleague, and I, who were then the columnists, the, but we had uh, tech review columns at the Wall Street Journal, and we did things together. Uh, we reviewed it together, and we actually uh, had one put in each of our cars and you know one of us would drive and then it it would kind of leave a data trail and the other one's map would reflect the traffic conditions that had been ported back automatically by the dash unit from whoever's car went first but there were privacy protections uh, in in the dash and i suspect there are some in ways I, i think there are everywhere it's snapchat like i think your route disappears after a little bit and stuff like that so my my point is by the way, the dash, it sounds amazing. It was such a piece of junk in practice. Anyway, it was so slow and the phone was coming. You could see this company was just going to get disappeared by a cell phone. I, I understand, but it did work in, in our tests. And, oh. But it, it did have some – one of the best things about it was it would work on a suburban neighborhood street. Uh, that's true. Where no commercial service would find it profitable to actually collect data and sell it. It didn't care what kind of street. It understood the different kinds of streets, but it didn't care. I mean, so it would tell you the traffic on any street from a two-lane road in in a housing development to a freeway. just didn't care. I think what the the listeners were hoping that we'd start with Apple and then start arguing about a six-year-old connected GPS. Yeah. I I completely disagree with you. No, but go ahead with your your question. (laughs) Anyway. To think in this way, a guy named Marco Orment wrote a great um, piece about this. It's a cultural thing to to think we're going to collect a bunch of data from people, use it, and then do something with it requires a change in culture. Like the culture of the company has to be organized around extracting that kind of value by doing a kind of thing and creating the value by doing a different kind of thing. Apple's like their company doesn't think that way. I, that that to me is the thing. Like Google is organized around the idea of we will collect massive amounts of information. Their mission statement is to like organize the world's information. Yes, that's right. That mission statement clearly implies that they must collect, organize, and then redistribute that information to be valuable. Apple's mission statement is to make beautiful iPhones, right? It's it's to make the world's best personal computers. And the software that goes with it. I mean, you know, they don't know. That's their goal, at least. Yeah, that's right. Hold on. I'm looking at it. Uh, Apple's mission statement Apple's 100,000 employees are dedicated to making the best products on earth and to leaving the world better than we found it. That ends every Apple press release. But uh, look, here's the thing. Uh, I get your point. We'll see on June 13th what they have to say about it, whether they're still sticking to their story, that there's a lot of information on the phone that can, that can be mined with your permission. And, you know, there, are, there is information on the phone that could be mined. All you have to do if you have an iPhone is to swipe right from your home screen and you will find uh, – left of it, you will find a page 
that has got all these things that I described earlier, this proactive thing, and that all comes from your phone. So, But like that, right, there's not that clear implication of here's what we're, we're doing. Like it's not a thought about we're going to collect data. And that is so core to this next revolution that you're talking about. You have to, you have to walk through the the minefield of privacy to say, in order to make software as powerful as it can be now, it has to learn about you and lots of other people so that it can start doing things for you. And I, I that that's the heart of it. Do you want to tell the software what to do or do you want it to have watched a million people like you so it tells you what you need? No, you want it to be proactive. They called their thing proactive. They obviously believe that people want things that are proactive. The question is, how do you reconcile that with their mastery or non-mastery of cloud things? Uh, but let's just assume they, they deal with that. The real question is, how do you reconcile with privacy? And although I didn't get into that this morning, I can th- easily think of something they can do. They already do it with third-party uh, apps in their app store. Which is, and Jobs used to say this: make them ask, make them, uh, you know, uh, or ask them, ask them again, and ask them again. And that's why, unlike on an Android phone, on an iPhone, you're constantly asked, uh, "Do you want to?" Like I just got this literally before this podcast. It just said, "Such and such an app is using your location in the background, even when you're not using the app. Do you want to keep letting it do that?" I don't know whether what makes it randomly ask me that, but it did. Uh, And that's kind of indicative of the Apple thing. But here's how I think they could reconcile it. They could say, we stand for privacy. We stand for user control. We have a service that we think could be valuable to you. You can opt into it. And the minute you don't want to be in it anymore, you can opt out of it. But, you know, whereas all the other tech companies at best are opt out, and often through complicated steps that make it hard, they could still claim to be the champion of privacy by saying, you can opt in. We're an opt-in company for only these five things that we think will matter to you. They could do that, I suppose. And then they could still say, we're still for privacy, and we can prove it because we don't collect your information unless you specifically opt into letting us do it. Yeah, but how do you sell a specifically opt-in feature in a TV ad. Oh, I don't worry about them doing a TV ad. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? They could they could do a TV ad for this podcast that would make it look absolutely <laughs> I don't know sexy. About that wall. Sure. All right, Phil. <laughs> Phil Schiller, you got challenged. Can you can you make this podcast? Who's done? I mean, you know, which tech company has done better TV ads uh, over time? Um, their TV right. ads typically don't even mention the product. But look, yes, of course it's harder. Of course it would be easier if they said, you know, we thought about it and we're still not going to let the government have your stuff, but we're going to have to – this is a new world and we're going to have to do some of what Google and, and Facebook do. We've right. thought about it. We're changing it up. They could do that. Do you think they'll ever go as far as we're making our own search engine? I kind of doubt it. I mean, you know, look, look, yeah. they're they're clearly working on a car. They're clear. We had some little more about it came out today. You know that they're hiring people to know about charging stations, electric, electric car charging stations. They're clearly. I know for a fact. I know for an absolute fact that they're working on both VR and AR, and and that right. AR is especially interesting to them. I don't know any more details than that, but I know they are working on it. 
I know that we have written about the fact that they're thinking up some significant changes for the iPhone, which is still a very profitable and uh, product that sells in large numbers, not as large as it used to, but very large numbers. They have lots of things going on there. They have some kinds of some kind of new Mac models coming. I don't know what they are. So they're busy. They've got a lot of stuff going on, but they've got it. They clearly have to pay attention to AI. They can't just opt out of it, I don't think. And and it would be ridiculous for them to opt out of it because they're already in it. The question is the question is the question you raised. Can they be competitive in it? And that's what I was writing about this morning. If they don't get better at the cloud, really step on the gas with Siri and figure out a way to, you know, make their privacy ethic compatible somehow with collecting large amounts of information. It's hard. Yeah, that's the one that it, it's so much stuff. And, you know, there was a report recently that R&D spending has gone up. But the it's so much new stuff. And you think about the four platforms they have now. And even those four platforms, the watch, the TV, uh, the iPhone slash iPad and, and the Mac, um, that's a lot. That's that's a lot of stuff. And even those four platforms don't talk to each other as well as you want them to, right? And part of that is the cloud service layer that you you discussed. And part of it is to make the cloud service layer better and more able to connect those things as seamlessly as you'd like, it has to know more about you. So there's there's already the first step of to make the four platforms that you currently have even more seamless the cloud service has to become slightly more invasive. So that's, a, it, right, the, the the pressure is on them. It's one of the reasons that uh, Apple News, in my opinion, is so unsatisfying. I mean, it, it asks general questions about your interests, but it doesn't really, in my, at least for me, it doesn't, it, it, I would never start my day on Apple News because it, it, it just doesn't pinpoint my specific interests enough and I guess maybe that's partly my fault because having been disappointed by it, I don't use it a lot. So I guess it doesn't get to learn from me. But but, yeah, but, that, but that's the negative feedback loop that kills you, right? I mean, Facebook is so good at knowing exactly what video I want to see next. It, it, you know, you, that, that news feed and the news feed is so much in the news right now for perhaps being manipulated. But if there's one thing Facebook is doing, it's manipulating such that you will constantly keep looking at your news feed. And they're excellent at it, but they know... They know so much. Facebook just rolled out a feature for live videos that puts a graph at the bottom of them to show you where the interesting parts are because it's watching how long you look at them. The Oculus Rift, you know, when I talk to Facebook PMs and engineers, they're going to do a thing where they do positional tracking in 360 video so they know where people are watching inside of the video. That take away the privacy concerns. That is amazing. That is an amazing idea. That is a next generation idea for a filmmaker that you're going to make a 360 video and you're going to know what your audience is looking at. But both of those examples, and there are many uh, that don't fit this definition at Facebook, but both of those examples are about you and what you like in order to serve you something better. They're not drawn from, you know, what I like or what a million other people like. They're about you. They can tell how far you've gone in the video. They can tell what where your position is in the in the VR uh, material. Well, the VR thing is like, it's not even out yet. It's, it's coming. But the in the news feed, they, they do do cohort analysis, right? They find people who like things that you like. Yes, in the, in the news feed, but inside the video 
I thought as you and, and uh, you know I haven't seen it yet, but it's based on where you stopped watching, not where everyone stopped watching. No, but then it, it shows. No, it's based on everyone. Okay, it's the other way around. Uh-huh. It shows you where the most right, people okay. were watching. Well, so so it's a problem for Apple. Well, well, I, my, my but my point very clearly is if you if you are willing to ignore the privacy concerns and just concentrate how how cool this stuff is, then you get some cool stuff. But no one's willing to ignore the privacy concerns. And to get to the place where you can build the new cool stuff, you have to devote yourself to navigating the privacy concerns from the position of wanting the cool stuff instead of needing the cool stuff. And that is a big shift. Yep. And uh, we'll see beginning on the 13th whether they're willing to make it. But I think honestly, I could sketch out a I could sketch out a a program, a product, a service, something you know, uh, uh, you know, proactive for you or whatever they want to call it, that would be a series of opt-ins that would be broad enough to allow them to go do this. And if you didn't like it, and and they could do it in a different way than some of these other people, they because they don't need to monetize exactly the same way. So they could say, we'll never, it'll never be sold. It'll never be shared, even anonymously. There's, you know, with advertisers, which is one part of the privacy problem. The other part of it is, do I feel comfortable letting them use something I do as part of, you know, as part of both personally, personalized information to serve me better and uh, anonymized information to help serve you better? And, you know, I think they can maybe navigate that and still maintain a distinction. Well, and then there's the other thing, which is it was what you said. They have a different revenue model. Ultimately, all this stuff has to run on a phone and a laptop somewhere, and they sell those. And, they, you know, they're dominant in the phone. And I think, is Facebook going to get so good at predictively telling you what you want? Or is Google going to get so good at Google Assistant that you're going to switch from the iPhone to Android? I, man, I don't know, but I suspect not. Um, I, I think you're just going to download the Google app. Unless no one buys iPhones anymore, and we're a long way from that, unless they completely mismanage, you know, unless everyone's happy with their old phone to an extent uh, even greater than people now suspect, or Apple somehow screws it up, uh, Google, both Google and Facebook employ, I would guess, at least a thousand people each to do stuff for Apple platforms and probably will continue doing that. So whatever AI thing, I mean, it's just, it's, it's un-Google-like for them to take something and say it's only on Android. You know, it might, be an, it might start on Android, although ironically, a few things have started on iOS and then come to Android. Right. So, um, I, you know, I think you could just still buy an Apple product. And if, but if what you're suggesting is that Apple can then ignore all this and let other people do it and just say, hey, we continue to make our money off hardware, I think that ship has sailed. Really? Well, I think Siri matters to them. And I think they, they last year they added to it. It sounds like this year they're going to add to it again, open it up maybe. There's at least one report uh, that we uh, talked about on The Verge today, that they're going to do that. And uh, they may put it in a, like you said before, watch everybody make mistakes with their home devices and then do a home device, which is a classic Apple pattern. So I don't think they're going to ignore AI. But the, my point in my writing my column was not to say Apple's never going to do AI, sell your Apple stock, Apple stinks. <laughs> it was just to point out this, it, we have these big eras in computing they were perfect for the last 
15 years era. It's not that nobody else was there doing some other things and making money. Facebook was, Google was, you know, uh, Microsoft, not so much. Amazon, just kind of toward the end here of that 15-year period in the transition. But Apple did fantastically well and was perfectly positioned. And my point of this column was to say they're not perfectly positioned for the next thing. But that's not the same as saying they can't get better positioned or they can't do it, including figuring out a way to to still be the more privacy-oriented company and collect more data. You know, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch Apple take on competitors that have even a modicum of taste and belief, right? I mean, in the era that you're talking about, the smartphone era, their big competitor was always Microsoft. And then to a certain extent, towards the end, it became Google with Android. But they still have the Android hardware vendors and carriers gluing all kinds of garbage onto those phones. Apple was able to differentiate itself by controlling the whole widget by being devoted to beautiful design. They made great hardware products for an era that valued great hardware products and in which software, the software that connected the hardware products together was and created the interface. You know, everyone else was bad. Microsoft software at that time, right? I mean, they, they were able to compete and win in that world. Even when they were losing. Right. Which, which was during the pre-smartphone era or post-PC era, the PC era where they lost to Microsoft. They mostly lost because they were bad at business and Microsoft was able to sell things for much less money. But the fact is, the Mac in 1990 was better than a Windows PC in a lot of ways. Right. It just didn't have the volume to get the apps. It's very ironic. <laughs> and it cost too much. Right. And it ran on a weirdo processor and all that. But, I mean, in terms of being beautiful and easy to use and WYSIWYG and all those things that We'll see how old our audience is. If I just leave it at that. But um, scuzzy bus, <laughs> yeah, ADB. scuzzy. Oh. Jesus Christ, uh, you are older than me. Um, I I take your point. Yeah. In an in an in, whether it was the PC era or especially the post PC era, starting with the iPod, they managed to make both the hardware and the software beautiful and easy to use and accessible, and you had to pay more. But you, you actually got – I mean there were many studies that showed you had a lower total cost of ownership because you had less need to get help and less need to do crazy – spend hours doing crazy configuration fixes on their products and all that stuff. And what I was saying this morning, what you're saying right now is we're mo moving into a new era in which it isn't obvious that they're perfectly positioned – to do what they did in the last era. And it's not a challenge that Steve Jobs had to face in his lifetime, but it is it is for T Tim Cook. I think Google and Facebook are a different class of competitors. They're not Microsoft and Dell, right? They're not enterprise companies that are sloughing some stuff off to the consumer market. They are consumer-focused companies that value good design, and you can quibble with the actual design. I know many people will, especially in, in the case of Google. But they speak the lang that same language that Apple introduced to the world. That's right. They're trying. I mean, look, people are still, uh, in some ways, trying to catch up with the MacBook Air, which came out in 2008 in design. But I agree with you. These are the, these, it's, a harder, it's a harder competitive call because the competitors are more nimble and more consumer-focused – and because Apple's natural – like Apple was sitting there 
having almost gone out of business, having lost the PC war, but they were sitting there as the vertically integrated manufacturer. And then the moment came when it became at really advantageous to be a high-quality, attention-to-detail, vertically integrated manufacturer, and boom, they were there, and they brought back Steve Jobs just right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just yeah. at the end of the PC war period, and he – I don't know when he started working on the iPod, which came out in 2001, but probably in 1999, and and he only came back in 1997. So, uh, you know, it all, all the stars aligned for Apple, which is not to take any – I mean, there was a lot of hard work. I'm not saying there wasn't a lot of hard work, but it just – they had the pieces, and they put them together and used them and drove – put their foot on that pedal and drove yeah. in a way that – I'm not sure anybody else ever has for 15 straight years, but uh, or 13 or 14 or whatever, however you want to count it. But now they're a huge company. They have some chops in artificial intelligence. We would be uh, wrong to suggest they have no chops in it. They, I think they need to be good at it. And it yeah. may be that they have to be good at it in an Apple way, but they have to be good at it. And so what that's what I was writing this morning. These, these are the challenges. These are my these are why I have some doubts. Well, the good news is uh, we're off next week and then we come back and we head right towards WWDC and where hopefully Apple answers a bunch of these questions for us. And then we got to do an episode about that. So get ready, people, because, you know, it, I, I said this on, on last week's show. It's this is that period in the tech industry where everybody gets a week. And we had Microsoft's week, and we had Google's week, and we had Facebook's week, and Apple's week is fast coming. And I think the the stakes are very high um, because if they don't if they don't put out an aggressive vision for their future in the way that Google and Microsoft and Facebook have, I think there's a lot. And people are going to tweet at me, and they're going to get so mad at me for saying that their vision has to be more than we're going to keep selling iPhones, right? I mean, that's that's what you want from a company of Apple stature. Just so some people will tweet yeah. at me. I will I will agree with you. There's not I want them to keep selling iPhones. I want them to keep improving iPhones. A lot of people like their iPhones. I do. But they they need a broader vision. I think they began a little bit to talk about it last year, but it was more of a catch-up mode I think last year because of Google now. Uh, now I think they have to they have to take their turn and say what they're going to do. And maybe they won't say everything they're going to do because they don't, yeah. even more than the other companies. But yeah, it, it, we'll have a lot to talk about and write about, and people have a lot to complain to us about it uh, on Twitter. But as, we, as they listen to this podcast, they're already tweeting <laughs> mean things at <laughs> us. So as always, I, I don't know why, but I just feel like we ought to just remind listeners that we do not approach this from an investment point mm -hmm. of view. We just don't. Yeah. We don't, neither we nor the staffs at The Verge or Recode or any of the Vox Media properties own stock in any of these companies. We don't benefit financially from it. They don't, you know, we don't lose money. We don't make money. We're really just interested in the march of technology and the fate of these great companies uh, as as technology companies and, and, and as makers of products that we care about. And that literally changed the way that we live. So, I mean, there, there's just, there's a reason to be critical here. But if you do want to tweet at us angrily, Walt is at Walt Mossberg. 
I won't, no, I'm not. No, I was going to not do this one. I'm at Reckless. We actually do love your comments. We love your feedback. We do. Uh, fastest like in the game if you if you hit one of us up because we love hearing from you. We love getting intros at the beginning of the show. Send those along. We I think we have comments open on the podcast post night. Comments there. You can email us. Just get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Uh, and then because we're off next week. Uh, please listen to the Vergecast. Please listen to Recode Decode, Recode Media with Peter Kafka, Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good, What's Tech, Chris Plant, and VergSP with Emily and Liz, which is a wonderful show. So tons of stuff to listen to next week, even though we're off. And then we'll be back at it. Um, I suspect the Code Conference will give plenty, will give us plenty of things to write and talk about. We'll have lots of things. What did we learn at the Code Conference? Oh, there you go. I can... Qual just assigned himself a column. Went rogue. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean, rogue? I assign myself a column every week. Uh, now you know my pain. Uh, it's uncontrollable, but, man. And then one more thing. Yeah. Now that you know our Twitter addresses, particularly Neelai's, um, uh, demand merch, uh, please. Will you? Demand Verge and control off the lead. Here's merch. what I'm going to do. Our CEO, Jim Bankoff, is he's going to be at code. I'm going to put on my, my is it a windbreaker this year? It's usually a windbreaker. I'm going to put uh, on. Uh, I can't reveal that. Well, it's, it's some sort It'll of. It'll be Verge, an item of clothing. Or recode swag. I'm going to get my recode bag. I'm going to walk up to him and be like, why are you do- Why can't I get one of these? I'm going to say it. And we're going to, hopefully I come back with some answers. And he'll he'll point to the corner. <laughs> this, this is now true. The corner of the jacket or whatever it is. When they, when they say Vox Media. So he'll say, yeah. but that's not Burge merch and it's no. not Control Walt's Elite. No, we, we got to get there. Somebody made us a shirt the other day. They made us a cool shirt design. Anyway. It's a, it's, it's a Walter Cation. Did you see this? I'll send it to you after the show. I it's did great. see. I've, I know. It's I've good stuff. Uh, okay, that's our show. Uh, again, off for a week, but we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for listening. That was fun on Walt. Yep, it was. It was.